This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. It would seem that markets around the world, but particularly in the United States, can't get enough of tequila. According to IWSR Drinks Market Analysis, tequila's popularity has risen to such an extent that they predict that it is set to overtake vodka this year. But what does it take to set up a tequila brand in 2023? And is there still room for new brands to make an impact in the market. To find out more, we talked to Drake Screws, founder of tequila brand La Casa, about establishing a brand, the insatiable consumer appetite for the spirit, and fermenting to classical music. Thank you for joining us, Drake. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I believe La Casa actually means the hunt. What are you hunting? It it does. It does. You know, besides the fact that my family and everybody involved uh, is passionate about the outdoors and hunting and that aspect, uh, it actually was a perfect fit for the brand when we were creating it because it took so long to hunt for the right aspects of what we were trying to build and what we were looking for in a distillery. And getting into the market, it was kind of it was a good play on word and brand name just because we were, we're hunting to build community with this brand and try to, you know, try to bring, bring people together. I believe setting it up was quite lengthy. Do you want to take us through the process? Sure. Yeah, it definitely, definitely took a long time. I started working on it back in 2014. So definitely had a lot of uh, speed bumps, trial and error along the way. While I started it, I was still in college. So it was really a part-time process for me, you know, fully taking the time to understand the market over the years. And the first thing I did was identify how do you find these places that actually make the tequila in Jalisco. So I started logging on back then in 2014 to any information I could find in the uh, CRT world, the government, you know, anything Jalisco. And I started finding the list of distilleries and started marking them out on the map and I made my first trip down to Mexico in 2015. And ever since I went down the first time, I fell in love with it. And so I started flying back and forth. Uh, for the next 18 months uh, when I could fit it in my school schedule. And uh, I visited 60 distilleries over that time period. And it was more or less almost not even identifying who we were trying to work with at that time. It was more of just, I want to fully grasp and understand the industry down here before you know, coming over to the States and understanding it over here. So I kind of broke it up in parts. So it's really understanding what happens where it's actually made. And so that just took a long time. 
to uh, to identify and go through the the pros and cons of each distillery that we did come across. Mm. And during that time, it was making a making a list of what you're looking for. It was expansion within the distillery capacity, uh, all those things, and uh, the communication level uh, with the distiller. And so uh, we ended up finding the Vivanco family. And that's kind of how the, that was the first first step in, in building it. How does a college student, especially back in 2015, develop an interest in tequila? We had a ranch here in uh, South Texas, and my dad has always been a, a tequila guy. And growing up and then having a ranch, he always used to make uh, ranch waters, mm. uh, which are now you know a mainstream cocktail in the world. But back then, you know, 2014 and prior, they really weren't a mainstream cocktail yet. They were very selective. Only a few places really did them. Everybody kind of had their certain way of how they liked to, to make them. But my dad actually would make them in a pitcher and everybody would come out to the ranch. And every time they'd leave, they'd call or they'd text or whatever and ask, hey, I'm at the store. What do I buy to make those? Or what's in it? Uh, can you send me the recipe? It just became so much that I figured I was like, man, there's got to be a way to possibly pre-make this or can it or bottle it or whatnot. And at that time, nothing was <clears throat> on the market. And so I uh, I bought a canner, bought some CO2 and bought some cans and concentrated mix. And I started making my own uh, at the house and I got pretty good at it. And I took it to a distributor. Okay. And yeah. just wanted to get their their take on it, their idea. And he told me that it was a really cool idea, really cool product. But the problem is, where are we going to put it? Because stores don't know what to do with pre-mixed cocktails at that time. And and he told me, you know, if I really wanted to get into the game, you need to set out and go make a main spirit and get a following. And then you can always do cans later. Right, yeah. And so... That was kind of what I did. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like a year and a half after that, the can market just kind of exploded, you know, with certain things coming out. And so I was like, well, you know, <laughs> it's okay. It's still, it was still great advice. And just out of curiosity, will you eventually do a ranch water in a can? We don't have any interest in getting into the can market. Okay. We have something else that's in the works, but it's not in a can. There are, as we all know, a lot of tequila brands on the market. What made you think that it was worthwhile to start another? So what really identified it is in Texas, it's a little hard for someone to grasp that because they walk down an aisle at, you know, your local specs or Total Wine or one of these places. And you're like, oh, my gosh, they've got two aisles or one full aisle of brands, like how could they how can they all compete? How can they possibly do that? Yeah. Then you look outside of Texas and you start looking at other states and looking at other these markets and there's not near the amount of brands or competition in these other states. And that's a good identifier that 
okay, there is room for growth in this market uh, for brands to come in. Okay. Uh, and another thing is, <clears throat> I'd say this kind of leads into almost the education piece of it. I can't tell you how many people ask me all the time. So where do y'all distill it here in Austin? And that makes me think, okay, there's a lot of room for growth here in this market just because the education piece is is still lacking. Yeah. And I think with more brands getting involved and people doing more advertising and, and those types of things, I, I think it will I think there's a lot of room for growth for sure. Talking about education, how much education do you think is still needed? Are people are people asking for tequila and drinking tequila without really understanding what it is? Yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, you got your typical bar scene that different age groups will, you know, just go in there and say, hey, I want a tequila, soda, lime, you know, just something very basic, really regular, but they don't even, they don't know what type of tequila is being poured in there and you know, that, that aspect. And so I think as the market keeps evolving and we have more aficionados getting into the game, well, you know, more people starting to listen in to, you know, these podcasts and start getting more educated on behind the spirits part of it. I think we'll see an improvement in the market on the education side of it too. I mean, you're always going to have, you know, your cheaper brands and your additive tequilas, those types of things, like that's always going to be there. You know, at the same time, it's not horrible that they're there. There's still a market for them, like in the wells. And even if somebody's drinking that, it's still keeping them engaged in the tequila market. So it's not a full loss if they are drinking something that's not particularly great at that moment. Now, it seems to me you've done an enormous amount of research. How do you think that research has come through in the tequila that you've made? I mean, it's been major. I think, you know, yes, it did take us a long time to get to where we're at. And like I said, there was a lot of trial and error and roadblocks and, you know, financial struggles that you have along the way when you don't have a bag full of money, just throw at something and see if it works. So the research that we did and the team that we that we put together over the years was crucial to arrive at what we have today, which was understanding the true difference between the equipment of how the product is stilled, where the agave is actually being sourced, what type of water they're using, yeah. and everything more of getting into the fine details of it instead of picking up the phone and just saying, Hey, can you make me a tequila? Mm. It's really being invested and involved. And I can hundred percent guarantee you that your product will be a lot better if you actually get involved and you want it to sustain in the market and have a great profile moving forward. It's really just getting invested in it and spending that time on quality control and double-checking your product every step of that way. With so many large brands and multinational brands, 
How difficult is it on a shoestring budget to start a brand in the liquor industry today? It's it's incredibly tough. You've got to be prepared to, you know, take a take a lot of punches. You're going to get told no a lot by a lot of different outlets in the market, uh, retailers, wholesalers, whatever it might be. Because at the end of the day, yes, you've made a great product, you've done the branding, you've you've got it in a bottle, you're ready to go. But at the end of the day, all those all those individuals that are taking you into the market, we are a number to them. And everybody's a business. Right. And so they're looking at it from the bottom line of going, okay, well, he doesn't technically have the budget yeah. to market or go up against this other brand that we carry. How do we differentiate ourselves in a cost way to break into the market? And that's really that's really identifying who you are and understanding your dollar right up front. And instead of going out into the market and just going to go blast and not really have a path forward, you really need to identify an area that you want to be and you need to stick in that area and try to win market space. Yeah. And that would be my kind of advice to anybody that was getting into the market and is really find a home base and just try to win market space there. And what has yours been? Uh, ours has been uh, here in Austin, uh, Texas has been try to, you know, try to win market space here in Texas you know, to kind of build on that, Texas in particular is very hard uh, right now to break into and to win market space because there's there's so many brands that are based out of here. Yeah. And so you go into some other states, it's, it's a little easier, but we're trying to win market space here, uh, Orlando, Florida, and uh, Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio. You know, I think if you identify what you're able to do and what your dollars can be utilized the best in those markets, you know, you can start to really win some market space and mm. try to get liquor, liquor to lips. Now, the fact that you are based in Austin, how difficult or easy has it been for you to therefore compete against brands that are purely Mexican? That's a good question. I would say, I mean, it's it hasn't been too hasn't been too difficult because most of the tequila consuming market that's over here in the United States is 80% American. And so when you're looking at a Mexican brand uh, or a Mexican owned brand, there are a lot of different variations in, I would say, everybody's palate. So people that are from, from Mexico, they have a much stronger palate than us Americans over here, they're able to really try something that's, I would say, a little bit more bold, more Raspa. But when you bring that profile like that over to the American consumer, they're just not prepared for that. They want something that's really soft, really smooth, Mm. doesn't burn, doesn't make you have that tequila face that a lot of people do. I think there's a lot there that has to do with separating yourself away from, you know, a truly Mexican owned brand 
and profile compared to, you know, somebody that's more on the American side that's producing, producing it or trying to bring it to the market. So does that mean that you would describe your tequilas as being quite soft and quite approachable? Very soft, very approachable, easy to drink, has great flavor. You know, all of our tequilas have a real cooked agave taste to them. And so it's it, it mixes really well in a cocktail. You taste enough of the tequila without it tasting, I would say, like alcohol, like real strong, real strong alcohol. So there's a real good balance right there. What would you say is the distinguishing difference with your tequilas, though, to a lot of what is on the market? Aside from the softness and the approachability, is there a flavor differentiation? So one thing that we do strive on is that we are we're filtered one time right. for our product, which is it's not super common in in the market. But there's a reason of why we wanted to do that, because we did not want to filter out every sediment or everything that comes with the natural flavor of cooking agave. I feel like if you filter it way too much, it's going to be getting on the lines of a vodka or getting on the lines of made with a diffuser or an autoclave or something like that, which are still fine, but it's not what we wanted to really strive for. So Definitely being filtered and then uh, owning our own barrels and being really passionate about the aging process of that tequila. Now, you brought out your three tequilas, your Blanco, your Reposado, and your Añejo, all at the same time. Uh Why did you choose to do that? So that was more of a a market demand or request. Okay. We we tried the the going in with just our Blanco, even though we had kind of everything ready at the same time. We were still able to store, but meeting with all these distributors over here and <clears throat> them trying to get it into the market, it was really them kind of saying, hey, like, you know, if we're going to take you on or if we're going to really take you into the market, we're going to need all three. It's going to be really hard to... Come into the market if you're not going the celebrity route or, you know, using somebody and just having a Blanco. Right. They were like, you really need to have the other three, you know, paired with it. And I think that's going to that's going to give a selling point edge. So that was really the only reason why we decided to act on releasing all three. One of the distinguishing features of your tequilas is your fermentation. You ferment to the sound of classical music. That's right, yeah. What difference does music make to that process? There's a romance to it. Uh, That's been a method that's been around for a long time. A master distiller named Sapolo Solis back in the day was implementing that uh, classical music into his fermentation process and thought it would really serenade the tequila and the cooking process along the way. And I think everybody really found that great. There's over in Japan and uh, some of the foreign countries where they do whiskey, they actually do a classical music 
when they're doing the fermentating. And they say that it really helps with exfoliating the notes within the fermentation process. Is there a way to really understand that in, in full depth? I don't know, but I know it's, it's a cool process and I love it every time I walk into the facility and I hear it. And, you know, the vibrations, they might have something to do with it within that 32,000 liter, you know, vat, but it's a cool thing that we do. A lot of people would say that the U.S. is going through an agave golden age. Do you see the trend towards tequilas and mezcals continuing to tempt consumers going forward? I do. I would say right now, I'd see a bigger growth on the mezcal side. I think that's becoming more and more of a trend. One is that I see it more in the brick and mortar side. You're starting to see more mezcal bars pop up throughout the area, much more than a tequila bar, which I find really fascinating that you know, we're seeing this brick and mortar front of all these mezcal bars, but not really on the tequila side. And so I think that's just coming with the the romance of how of how mezcal is made. Uh, it's a little more expensive yeah. and it's it's got a unique flavor to it. But I think more and more people are just starting to starting to, I think, gradually get into that more. I think we're still going to see an uptick over the next five years with both spirits, tequila and mezcal, just because I think there's more room in the market. And yeah, I feel that maybe in five years that we might see a little bit of a burnout of this celebrity craze of, you know, of just every celebrity getting involved, whether it's a mezcal or tequila. Mm. I think we might see it filter off maybe in you know several years just because it's going to get to the point where it's it's too gimmicky. Spoke earlier about the tequila being really good in cocktails. What sort of cocktails would you recommend that someone try and make with this when they buy a bottle? Of course we really love ranch waters uh, here but uh, your standard Paloma is really great I love making that one with the Reposado. Nice. I think it's it just gives it a great flavor with that grapefruit. It's a really nice touch. Another one that's been surprising that really been a big one for us is actually Old Fashions. Okay. Making with our Reposado and Añejo. Yeah. Since our aged tequilas are a little more bold, they're sweet, bold, uh, but still smooth. They have almost a bourbon flair to them. And so I think anything that is a bourbon-based type of cocktail can really be translated over to our Repo or our Añejo. What do you want people to take away from their experience with your tequilas? I definitely want them to take away that, I mean, they obviously really enjoyed it and that they would buy it again, for sure, but also when they buy it and when they have it at their house or when they have, you know, friends over, it becomes a great conversation piece for their camaraderie. That's what I really hope. And it also having this feel of, yes, we're in 
multiple states and we're going to keep growing. And, you know, we want to be, we do want to be a big tequila brand and expand and keep true to what we do, you know, currently. But we want to make sure that this brand and this product, when it's going into a different market, that it almost feels like it could be a local product and a local brand that is there. So that's why we talk about community so much is how do we take the brand and place ourselves in these different markets that we're in and make sure that we're making these people feel like this brand is approachable and that they really want to be a part of it. So, and support it. And so that's a big thing is just making sure that we're definitely talking to the public and getting with the public in those areas that, you know, they really, really enjoy the product and want to keep buying it again, just because it's more of a community driver. I imagine getting into those new markets is very much your aim over the next 12 months or so. But having brought out three tequilas, aside from expansion, what is the future of La Casa? So future of La Casa is one we're going to do a few other SKUs, uh, one being a French oak line. Okay. But aged tequila. So something a little different. You know, currently right now we do all of our aging and used bourbon barrels, uh, which is great. It's my favorite. It's been a big hit here in the market. And we just want to offer something that's a little more unique, Mm. uh, something that's a little different tasting when it comes to age. And so using a French oak, new French oak barrel uh, that hasn't been uh, aged or anything, I think will, will be a good good little try into the market and think give give somebody else another option. And then we have we do have plans for an extra añejo. I would say whether that be on the used bourbon barrel side or the new French oak side, I think we'll we'll probably have both. Okay. And you know, we'll probably tie that in with if, of it being more of a reserve line. Out of curiosity, which out of the three that you've released so far is proving to be the most popular? The Reposado. Okay. Yep. So that middle, it's, yeah. The middle child has uh, has definitely won, you know, won more people over. And I think it's, you know, I, I think it, it's just got so much flavor to it mm. with that natural taste, but it really mixes well. Right. And, you know, I, and that's my favorite too. I think if I'm going to make a cocktail, I'm definitely going to make it with the Repo for sure. Right. I love to sip the Blanco. So it's a little reversed. Now, of course, if people want more information, they can, of course, go to your website, which is lacazaspirits.com. Correct. Or connect with the brand via your socials. That's correct. They can go to our Instagram, lacazaspirits, and then our Facebook, uh, lacazaspirits as well. And and then, you know, we're, we're in Google search too, if they ever want to pull up anything in that regard uh, to get press or to uh, find out any information that we've done with other other outlets. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, Drake. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailstistill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. 
Until next time, cheers.